Last week we talked about being bendable concerning finances. It was interesting when Jesus got all through, and I wasn't able to bring this out last week, we got all through talking about the fact that he said, don't you realize that when you had five loaves and two fishes, I said 5,000 men plus women and children had four baskets left over, and then I took seven loaves and a few little fishes and fed 4,000 men and had seven baskets left over. And he also explained all this to them that it had nothing to do with the initial source. The power was God's ability to reproduce and to multiply and cause a sufficiency. And he got through explaining this to the disciples. His last statement was, now, is it the, how is it then that you do not understand? And I wonder how many times God says that to us when we, pre- we have the word before us. And time and time again, he shows us something from the word. And the next time we come up to that thing, we walk right into the mess again oblivious to what God had just said to us before. I mean, the disciples had had two examples there of his providing for them in food for a multitude, and uh, he said, look out for the leaven of the Pharisees, and they said, oh boy, didn't we bring enough bread on board, you know? And he says, how is it that you still don't understand? What is it going to take? He said, boy, I'll tell you, if I were there, and Jesus had said 5,000 one time and 4,000 another time, he wouldn't have to say that to me again, would I bet? How many times have you prayed and wept and said, oh God, how are we going to meet our bills? How are we going to make this? Oh Lord, there's just no way, you know. And you say, wow, praise God, he performed the miracle. And the next time you came up against the wall again, oh God, I don't see how we're going to bring Go right through the same thing all over again. You say, I don't see how those disciples could have ever had Jesus have to say that again. How is it that you still don't understand? It's just because that's the human nature and we have to walk in divine light and not the stigmatisms of the human flesh, knowing that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that he has to think. Now, we want to talk about dependability. The word of God says that when he created mankind, he produced that, that the animal kingdom and the human kingdom and the vegetable kingdom produces after its own kind. After its own kind. It is a fact of science that most things that have been created, when they reproduce, they reproduce after their own time. In other words, you can go out in the field and say, there is sweet corn. And if you wait till it grows up and it doesn't get much taller than this, you can say, yep, that's sweet corn. But if you walk out in the field and it's nine or ten feet high, you don't say, yep, there's sweet corn, because that's field corn. And they will produce after their own kind. If you plant sweet corn, it'll only come up a certain way. You plant popcorn, it'll come up a certain way. Plant Indian corn, it'll come up a certain way. Same thing is true concerning the divine nature. Just as the, uh, the vegetable kingdom produces after its own kind, you can't go out and sow wild oats and raise wheat. You can't sow cockleburs and raise corn. Whatever you plant, that's what you're going to reap. In the physical realm, if you take a horse, a horse produces a horse. If you try to cross them, you'll come into a sterile line, the mule. When you come over into the human kingdom, Man produces man. Women produce men. Men and women produce other children. Humans, not animals, not vegetables. I've seen some children, you wonder if they're a vegetable sometimes. Like one guy said his child was so lazy that if, if, if it were, his breathing apparatus was not involuntary, he would have died of suffocation. He was so lazy he didn't even want to breathe that he didn't have to. But you see, basically speaking, we're supposed to produce after our own kind. Now take it one step higher. And the Word of God says if we have the nature of God in us, we should be like God. Now, it's very important for us to understand it isn't because we are just what we are, you know, that's just not the way I am. But if we have been born from above, there should come into us 
a new nature that causes us to become dependable. One of the greatest tragedies to me in the world today is for the world to say, I would rather not hire Christians because in many cases they're not dependable. That's a horrible indictment against Christians. You just can't depend on them. I mean, if they get a bone in their foot or if there's a meeting in another town, they suddenly that's more important to them than being where they have a responsibility. It's a terrible thing within the body of Christ, within local churches, where pastors say, I could pull my hair out sometimes. Because you give tasks and different, uh, different jobs to different people. And some of them, you can forget it. It's done. Others, you have to be there continuously to see that they did it, and if they did it, if they did it right. Some people, you can count on it. Whatever they start, they won't finish. And you say, where is the nature of God in that person? Look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse six. God was telling the children of Israel all of their qualifications as to why he chose them above everyone else. An interesting thing, he says, chapter seven, verse six, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath, because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, what? The dependable, the faithful God, the dependable, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now, there's a couple of things I want to bring out here. He is saying that if God tells you he'll do something, he'll do it. You can count on it. He said, I want you to know, Israel, that I didn't choose you because you're the prettiest, the smartest, and the most... Uh, abundant people on the face of the earth had nothing to do with that. You see, I made a promise back there to your forefathers and said I love them and that I would keep you as a people. And he said, because I said it, I'll do it. I am a dependable God. If I said it, you can count on it. Now, I'm saying again that if that's the nature of our father, that should be our nature also. It carries through because Jesus represented the Father here on earth, and he said, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Look into the New Testament and see what the Word of God says concerning Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. See, Paul was saying to the church of Corinth, I know you're going to go through trials, I know you're going to go through testing, but God is dependable. You can mark it down. He has promised that he'll never let anything overrun you to where you won't be able to make it. You can depend on it. You can count on it. He will make a way of escape so that you can bear it. Every time you come into a tight place, God will give your feet room to maneuver. If you ever felt like you're cornered and you can't go in any direction, feel like someone's coming up to you and saying, checkmate. When that happens, I look up and say, thank you, Father, ahead of time, because you said no man is going to checkmate me. 
You said that you give my feet room to maneuver. Now, there's got to be a move here I don't see yet, and I'm looking to you for wisdom and direction and guidance because you never fail. It's in your word, and your word is settled forever in heaven. You'll make a way of escape so that I can bear it. Now, Lord, it seems unbearable, but it isn't unbearable because your word says it's bearable yet, and when it becomes almost unbearable, you're going to make a way of escape for me. How do I know that? Because God is dependable. God cannot fail. John, the 12th chapter, verses 48 through 50. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word, hath one that judge him, judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now get this. For I have not spoken by myself or of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment that I should say what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Now, what was he saying? Jesus was saying, I was sent to deliver a message. I am not making up this message. This message has already been given to me. So when I say something to you, I'm saying it to you in God's behalf. And Jesus said, I'm bearing a message for someone else, and I'm not going to say anything but what he already said for me to say. I'm not going to ad-lib in this situation. And you know something? There is no division between God the Father and God the Son, is there? God the Father and God the Son never said two different things. And that's why there's harmony. That's why there's unity in the Godhead. That's why you can depend on it. Jesus said, I don't say anything except... The Father tells me to say it, and I say exactly what he tells me to say. Look over in John, the 16th chapter now. There's one more part of the Godhead. And that part of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John, the 16th chapter, verses 13 through 15, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. In other words, he's not going to say what he wants to say. Jesus said, I don't speak of myself. I don't say what I want to say. I say what the Father tells me to say. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to say what he wants to say. He's going to say what I tell him to say. And I'm going to tell him what the Father said. You're not going to divide the Godhead. Whatever the Father says, Jesus says. And whatever Jesus says, the Holy Spirit says. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Now, notice two things here. First of all, the Holy Spirit is speaking on his own. The second thing is, the Father now entrusted a message to the Son who was able to transfer that message to the Holy Spirit and know that there's not going to be any device, any change or any device. God the Father told the, told the Lord Jesus what to say. He said, the Holy Spirit came and now Jesus says he's going to take what I have said and what I have taught and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you and he's going to be saying exactly what the Father said when I said it. Now, 
I said that a Christian, if he has the nature of God, is dependable, is faithful. Dependable, certainly to God. But that dependability goes out into every aspect of his life. He should be dependable in every contact of life. At the job, they should notice a difference. In his home, there should be a definite difference. In his play, there should be a definite difference. In his interpersonal relationships at every level, there should be a difference where people could say, that man is of a sterling quality. It was said of Joshua and Caleb, they had a different spirit. They were dependable. They didn't vacillate. They didn't come up against some circumstances and say, oh yeah, but now we've got to reevaluate what God told us. I didn't realize it was going to cause this kind of a ruckus. I mean, like when Jesus came, said, if anybody's going to be a part of me, they've got to eat my, drink my blood and eat my flesh. Scripture says, and many that had followed him and many of his disciples at that time turned and forsook him and never followed him again. Jesus said, now, Father, I think we need to make some changes here in our theology, you know. Uh, <laughs> this, this is creating a little bit of a ruckus here. We just made some waves and we lost some of our following here. Can you reword that now? You know, really what I'm trying to... Jesus never went back to the chairman of the board and said, can't we change our doctrine here, did he? I mean, it, it got right down to where just a few disciples were standing there and he said, how about you guys? You want to go too? He said, I'm saying what the Father says. If you don't like it, I'm still with him. If it's just him and me, we're still in the majority because I'm tied in the right foot. And when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts of sin today, there are some people that would say, we need to soften it up a little bit. We need to change it a little bit here. You know, no. What does it say right there? No one is going to come into the kingdom of God outside of this truth right here. And if you and I ever apologize for this, Shame all over us. We'll answer to God for it. You know why most people are doing it today? Because they don't know what they believe. And they couldn't care less if they really know. They are very comfortable where they are. And so they will just coast along. And when they get in a tight spot, well, my pastor says, or my church believes, I think somewhere in the Bible it says, and then when the bomb explodes, they'll back off and say, oh my, you know, that, there must be something that we're missing here. There must be some truth that we're bypassing here, you know. Maybe we need to change and soften this a little bit. Jesus said that if it's rubbing the hair the wrong way, turn around, cat. Jesus said what the Father said. The Holy Spirit said what Jesus said. And I'm saying what the Holy Spirit revealed to the writers of the Scripture concerning what Jesus said that the Father said. I don't know about you, but I've got some pretty good authority. God says dependable people are those that hear what he says and they say what he says. 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Paul's talking to Christians now. The church of Corinth. Is this book written also to us where it applies? To every Christian? Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards or housekeepers of the mysteries of God, taking care of and protecting the truth of God here, the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in steward that a man be found dependable or faithful. It is not an option. 
He said, God has entrusted to us the mysteries of God's message. He has entrusted it to you and me through the word of God. And if he's entrusted it to us, he has deposited it with us. Let me ask you, what do they do with a man today that runs a savings and loan and he keeps two sets of books? And he puts up, sets up false accounts and the deposits that are made are manipulated. When they find that out, what do they do to the guy? They get him for fraud. They get him for theft. And if he gets the right judge and the right jury, he goes to prison, doesn't he? Because it is a, an, a dishonorable thing to misuse a trust that's been given to you. And Paul's saying here, God has given to us a trust. He has made a deposit to us. He has credited us with truth. He said, now, I credited it first of all with my son. And he dealt with it in a proper way. He didn't change it. He declared it. He deposited it with the Holy Spirit. And he was faithful to say exactly what my son said. He deposited, the Holy Spirit deposited these truths with my saints and my servants, the apostles. And they wrote it down faithfully in the Word of God. They deposited it in the book so that you and I could have that same truth. Let me tell you, if you and I take that which has been credited to our account and we become stewards of God, we become responsible to see to it that that deposit is not changed. It's not manipulated. It's not misused. We have to be absolutely certain that we are faithful to what God has revealed to us in his word. Now, how is that going to take place? Second Timothy, the second chapter, gives us the exact pattern as to how it's going to happen. He said, For I have received the Lord that which also I declared unto you. I have received from the Lord that which I also declared unto you. Isn't that interesting? What the Lord revealed to me, I'm revealing to you. He didn't say, For that which I have received from the Lord, I have put it in a modern translation and changed it according to what I thought would be proper, and I have delivered it unto you. He didn't say that, did he? For what I have received from the Lord, that very thing I declare unto you. All Scripture is God-breathed. Settle forever in the heavens. It's the word that's going to judge us in the last days. We don't dare change that. Thou, therefore, now Paul is going to transfer it on to the next generation. He received it directly from the Lord, and he transfers it now to Timothy. Thou, therefore, my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is grace? The power to know and to do God's will. Timothy, be strong in the ability to know and do God's will. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which thou hast heard and translated of me among many witnesses, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, mark those next words. What? The same. What you have heard from me, I got it from the Lord, and I'm giving it to you. The same. The same. Commit. The same. Deposit thou to faithful, dependable men who shall be able or competent to teach others also. The second Timothy, the second chapter. Second Timothy, the second chapter. I want you to read it with me. Every other verse. I'll read the first verse. You read the second. And we're going to read down through the 21st verse. We've been talking about usable vessels. 
usable vessel. I want to say, though, that I had no intention when I started this series that it would go this long, but I am only the spokesman. I have to do what I'm directed to do every Sunday. Usable vessel. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not found, except he strive lawfully. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seed. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let's all read the 21st verse together. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I said, first of all, concerning this particular portion of Scripture, being usable vessels. Now, Paul says here there are different types of vessels. Vessels unto dishonor. That is like a cheap uh, McDonald's cup or a little package that you get your hamburger in from McDonald's. It looks nice. It's very functional. It's very helpful. It keeps the heat in. And uh, you love it because you can open up and eat right out of it. But when you are through, if something gets discarded, it's functional for a moment, but then it's useless. You know, I mean, I don't know too many people to go around with uh, a little McDonald's uh, hamburger thing in their pocket thinking, one of these days, I'll be able to use this. Now, some women use it for planters, but when they're through to plant their little seeds in, when they're all through, they throw it away. But it's not a vessel unknown. I have never seen someone setting one up on their shelf and saying, isn't that a beautiful vessel? I just would never want to get rid of it. And stacking up these McDonald's little hamburger packages. That, anybody seen anybody stacking those up? We know that they're to be used and discarded. We're in a disposable society. That's a vessel under discipline. And then he said there are some to honor. Those that even though you're not using them, they're setting up on the shelf and uh, they're to be admired. And my wife has some of those things. And let me tell you, if you don't think that they're valuable, just get close to them. Even if we're not using Now, some of them we have not used in years. Now, just be careful. Don't, don't get too close to that, you know. And uh, that's a vessel under honor. And God's word says that we decide which we will be. So many times you'll hear some people say, well, God knows my heart, and if whatever he wants to do, he'll just have to do. No, 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 no. The word of God says, choose you this day whom you will serve. The word of God says of Joshua and Caleb, I've mentioned it before, it says they had a different spirit. What does that mean? They had a heart after God. The scripture tells me that there was a certain man in the Old Testament who walked with God 
and was not, for God took him. There was something about him that he just could not get close enough to God. Consequently, God just felt like he wasn't close enough to him. He says, why don't you just come on up here and let's just stay together right here. You see, we determine where we're going to be with God. I've had some people that have tried to blame God or blame the church or blame their family or blame their loved ones as to why they're not walking closer to God. No, 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 no. You and I decide whether we're going to be vessels under honor or vessels under dishonor. When I think of what some people go through here on, in the United States and say, well, it's just not possible for me to live with the Lord, I would like for them to read the story or to get the tape concerning the Siberian Seven over in Russia. Every time they want to apply for a visa to get out of, uh, out of Russia to come to the United States, they were handed a one-year sentence at hard labor in Siberia. One of them went in four times. Every time they signed for it, they were notified, the authorities were notified to pick them up, send them back to Siberia for one year of hard labor. They came back from that hard labor, started working again, went down and said, I would like to go to the United States. And if they did, another, you know, we don't even know what it's like to have to suffer for Jesus. Over in China right now, they're making another purge that's going on. While they say they're picking up all the murderers and all the, the thieves and, and so forth, they are also picking up Christians and putting them in the trucks, taking them down to public places and shooting them. We have no concept of persecution here in the United States. They won't let us bow our heads and have prayer in the schools, but that's not really persecution yet. We've not suffered under blood yet. But those believers in other countries have to make a quality decision as to whether they're really going to be a vessel under honor or not, no matter what it costs. So I said, I have thus far presented to you in, concerning this series that a truly usable vessel is one that is expendable. Lord, you do whatever you want to with me. You reshape me. You know, we talked about the clay and the potter and the wheel, that God fixes on the wheel of daily experiences, and he begins to mold and bend and twist us, and sometimes we'll resist a little bit. He takes us off the wheel and puts us on the pounding board again and says, you're not pliable enough. He starts reforming and reshaping and sticks you back in the wheel and starts all over again. And after he does that several times, if you're not pliable and moldable, he says, I can't use this clay. And Paul the Apostle says, I fear lest after having preached this gospel that I become discarded and thrown out in the clay pit. And so he, he tries to mold us and make us into what he wants us to be. And that means that we have to die to ourselves. Paul the Apostle says that's what he did every day. He got up and had a funeral service every morning. He says, God, I just want you to know that I recognize that I died with Jesus Christ. Now Christ is living in me. And anything that you want me to do today, if you'll just direct me by your spirit, I'll be obedient. Whatever you have for me today, I'll receive it. In fact, Lord, Timothy and I and Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas and I are going to have a sing inspiration tonight. I don't know if any of the other guys will sing with us, but we're going to have a sing inspiration at midnight tonight, Lord. Uh, it doesn't make any difference that we've got chains around our ankles and chains around our wrists and that we're tied to these other guards. We're just going to have a, a sing inspiration tonight. If you'd like to join in, Lord, then some of your angels will just have a good time tonight. It doesn't make any difference, Lord, that I would rather be out free to do what I want to do. You see, I'm free inside because Christ has released me. And if I'm dead, then I'm not worried about what happens to me in a physical way. I'm more concerned about how I'm going to please you and everything that I do and say, I'm expendable, Lord. Paul says, it would be better if I really had my brothers, I'd rather be with you, Lord. But it's really necessary for me right now to be with these other believers. It doesn't make any difference here or there, Lord. Whatever you want. Let me tell you something. When we come to that place... There is no peace to compare with it. That's the peace that Jesus talked about. Paul says, I've learned to be exalted. I've learned to be abased. And in all these circumstances, I've been content. 
Now I can do all things through Christ to save me. He can take me to heaven. He can leave me here, put me in prison, exalt me with other believers, make it really honoring me because of my position. Any place you want, I just recognize what I am. I see things without the stigmatism of the flesh anymore. Nothing is valuable in this life outside of putting everything in the perspective of eternity. Many, many times I see these people getting all these accolades, all these honors being placed upon them, and I, I think to myself as they're sitting there smiling, and I'm thrilled for them. They hold this little plaque, and they say, isn't it wonderful that people recognize what I do? And I thought, you know something? That won't go with them into eternity. That has no eternal value whatsoever. I think it's wonderful that we can rep- I mean, recognize people who do wonderful things, but how frail that is. Paul talked about that. Some of these people run and work and sacrifice and suffer and die to themselves and do things they wouldn't want to do in order to get that little crown of, of leaves back in that day. It was just a little crown of leaves that within a week would just dry up and were, was dead. He said, how much more we need to run the race that God has set before us for an eternal reward. Now, the only way that can happen, you'll have to talk to someone who has been trying out for the Olympics to understand what it is to die out to yourself. You think, boy, it must be wonderful to feel like getting up every morning, going out and run 15 miles and swimming those 10 miles and riding that bicycle 15, 20 miles. It must be wonderful to have that thing. Let me tell you something. I'll bet some days they have to beat themselves bloody to get that body out of bed and go and do it. They don't get up and wake up and say, mm, let's see, how do I feel this morning? I feel like four more hours and I'm out of bed. See, they don't give their body a choice. And I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life that my body has not had a choice in this matter. There have been times when I did not feel like going to church. In fact, I laid in bed and I said, Honey, I made a quality decision this morning. I'm not going to go to church. You go ahead. And I have to tell my body, you either get up or I'll put you on a one-week fast. And let me tell you, that's a quick way to get it out of bed. <laughs> but we have to die to what we want to do. And that's what Paul says. If we're going to be a usable vessel, we have to be expendable. Secondly, we have to be sendable. Now, let me tell you something. Unless you're expendable, you won't be sendable. One of the greatest problems with Christians today is the very thing that we talked about here. Paul said to Timothy, a man who is called into the things of God should not become involved in the affairs of this world and this life. That means you don't put your roots down too deeply. It means that whenever God says move, you can move without having to ask the banker for permission. It means you keep yourself in a position of mobility any direction God wants you to go. When you get the word from God, when you find the, the will of God... And then God presents the way to you, then you're ready to move. And your roots are always just exactly loose to, to, to move the direction God wants you to move. You must be sendable if you're going to be a usable vessel of God. Philip, go over to Samaria. Yes, sir. Went right into Samaria. In the middle of a great revival, when his name was probably going up on all the posters and everybody was announcing over television the miracles that were happening in his meeting. Philip, I want you to go out there in the middle of the desert. I got a black man out there in a chariot riding along. I want you to go and catch up with him and tell him about me. You've got to be sendable. By the way, every time God tells us to do something, it doesn't always sound logical. It'll always be scriptural, but it doesn't always have to sound logical. Thirdly, you have to be bendable. I thank the Lord that our brethren up there in Vernon, Florida, learned how to be bendable. We had all sorts of opportunities to be bendable up there. and That's just a family joke that we've had since we were up there. Bendable socially, bendable spiritually, bendable financially. Now we've been talking about being dependable. And I said that being dependable, being a dependable vessel, is first of all saying what God says. Jesus said what the Father said. The Holy Spirit said what Jesus said. Uh, Paul said what the Holy Spirit told him that Jesus had said. Paul said, for I have received of the Lord that which also I declare unto you. 
I don't just declare what I want to declare. I declare what the Lord told me to tell you. And then he said to Timothy, Now what I have taught you, you teach other faithful men. The same thing. And I've taught you, you teach other faithful men. Who will teach other faithful men? Who will teach other faithful men what? What I told you, that the Holy Spirit told me, that Jesus said, that the Father said. Being dependable means that we say what God says. It's interesting in 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess is homologio in the Greek. Homologio. It means to speak the same thing. God is saying that sin is to say something or do something contrary to what God is saying or doing. And he said that is sin. So whenever you want to get that sin out of your life, you say what God is saying. Father, I said this, but that's not what you're saying, and I ask you to forgive me. I want to say what you say. And there are a lot of people today in churches that are going around saying things that God isn't saying. And that's sin. That's being undependable. There's nothing worse or more difficult for a pastor in a ministry than to have people in his flock going around saying things that he isn't saying, that God isn't saying, and consequently there is total confusion. Very difficult. When you try to say what God says, and then others under you don't say what God says, the important thing is to find out what is the source of our word. When we say things, our ideas, our beliefs, a lot of people say, well, I believe. In fact, you'll say, what do you believe? I'll say, it doesn't make any difference what I believe. Well, I believe. It doesn't make any difference what you believe. Well, I'll have you know, I, I just feel very strongly about that. Big deal. The words that I speak, they will judge you. Well, Brother Webb, I'm just on and on we go. Now, when we can come into real harmony is when we come to this and it says, this is what it says, isn't it? Yes. Okay, now let's take our beliefs, cast them out because that's sin. Let's confess with our lips what God says. When we say what God says, that's taken care of and it's dealt with once and for all. That's the believer. And it's sin for us to say something contrary to what God says. Is a usable vessel, a dependable vessel, does what God says. It's one thing to say what God says, it's something else to do what God says. How many times have you had children and you'll say to them, What did I say to you? And they'll put it just like a parrot. You said, da, 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 da. That's right, that's exactly what I said. But what did you do? And it's not enough just to say what God says to be counted as dependable. Let's just check a few verses on that. Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew, chapter 12. Jesus has an awful lot to say concerning what you do. Matthew 12. Beginning with verse 46. Jesus had just been talking about unclean spirits. And that when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, that if they open themselves up and do not walk in obedience to God's word, that that one goes out and finds seven more worse than themselves and come back in, and the end condition of that person is much worse. And while he was there teaching this crowd, a man came up to him and said, that while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples 
His mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to talk to him, and he pointed to his disciples, and he said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall say the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same of him, it says, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. It's not enough to say that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and accordingly believe in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, but also your actions are according to your word. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You will do whatever is in your heart. And if the word of God is not in your heart, you may do that which is contrary to the word of God and you're not doing what God says. Look over in the 24th chapter, beginning with verse 44. Jesus was talking about the time when two would be in the field, one would be taken and the other left. Two would be grinding at the mill and one would be taken and the other would be left. Some people put all kinds of interpretations on it, but I still think that there's going to be a surprise for some of them when the church is caught away. After we're ruling and reigning with Jesus, we've got to go and feast a little bit before we come back and rule here on earth. Still can't get rid of that. Therefore, be ye also ready, verse 44 of chapter 24, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, he says, get ready, because that hour is going to come. And then he tries to make it, give a caution here. After he declared that he was definitely coming, Matthew 24, beginning with verse 45. Now, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing doing. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say believing. He didn't say saying. He said doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that servant, evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in the day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with a hypocrite. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look over at John, the third chapter, if you will. John, chapter 3, verse starting with verse 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest there, his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. A man who is doing truth, who wants to do truth, comes to the light. And many, many times there will be people who will be saying and doing things contrary to the word of God. They will be manifested, they will be brought out, they will be exposed when the light of God's word hits them. If they want to do truth, they'll step into that light, no matter how brilliant it is, and they will make confession, Father, I was not saying or I was not doing what you are saying and what you're doing, and that's sin, and I ask you to forgive me. I agree with what the Word says. I agree with what the Word says I'm to do, and I will do and say what it says. That's concerning our actions. But Jesus tells us that there is a foundation that you and I are responsible for building First of all, in our lives, there is a personal responsibility or foundation that needs to be built. Then he talks about a foundation of a ministry that it must be built. For those who are given a particular ministry, that they have to be careful how they build, how they begin that building. And I want us to look at, first of all, a personal foundation in Luke the 6th chapter. 
beginning with verse 45. Jesus is talking, first of all, about having a beam or a mote in your eye. He says, why are you going around trying to pick a speck out of a little tiny splinter out of somebody else's eye when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your own? Take care of the telephone pole in your own eye and then go over. Now, by the way, he didn't say never get the speck out of the brother's eye. He said get the telephone pole out of your eye and then you can see to take it out of the other person's eye. Some people say that you're never supposed to take a speck out of somebody else's eye, and that isn't what Jesus said. He says, don't go around like this, holding up a great big fence post in your own eye and say, here, let me try to get that speck out of your eye. He says, see things in the proper perspective. Take care of yourself first and then. Then he goes on here. He talks about fruit. A good tree and an evil tree. So a good tree, verse 43, for a good tree bringeth not corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. What he's saying is you don't go out if you want figs and look for a thorny tree to get figs off of. And if you want to get grapes, you don't go out and look for a bramble bush. What we used to call cockleburrs in Nebraska. You don't look for grapes on cockleburrs bushes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Many in that day shall say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and have Many of says, I'll profess to you, I never knew you, ye that work lawlessness. Why do you call me Lord if I'm not Lord? That's a very logical question. I had never seen that verse until years ago in Bible school. There was a man that came there that uh, sang forward to Christ all you people. And uh, in it was this portion of scripture I'd never had to hear that verse. And I ran back to my room afterwards and searched it out and found that verse. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. If I condemn you, don't blame me not, is what the song says. And Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, now, the, Hebrew, the Greek meaning of the word, and the Hebrew meaning, excuse me, the Hebrew meaning of that word here actually means to be able to receive and respond to it, or react to it. It's more than just letting it go in your ear. Like I said, there are a lot of people that hear that don't hear. And Jesus said, let him that hath ears hear what the Spirit saith to the church. It's possible to sit here and take notes and hear and not hear. You get more coffee grounds up here, but no coffee down here. You know, when the spirit perks up here, it gets that truth down into your... Now, that's when it starts feeling good. A lot of people go around with their minds stuffed with coffee grounds. Good coffee grounds. You just need to get the water of the spirit to run down, the word to run down through it, and bring it back down in, where they can feed on it. He that heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. Let me show you what this man is like who hears my word and does my word. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. All right, first of all, let me tell you something. What Jesus is saying here, when you and I begin to build a foundation in our personal Christian walk, there is work involved. It is not an easy thing for us to just haphazardly walk into a Christian experience with the Lord. Because all the forces of hell and all the forces of the flesh are going to come against you to try to keep you from being what God wants you to be. And whenever you dig a foundation, if you don't know what digging a foundation is, you weren't there when the Kimmings were building their house. They had to build up first of all, and then they had to dig down. 
And you have to find a solid foundation upon which to build, or else build a solid foundation upon which to build. Ours is already built. There has to be a lot of the old flesh and the old ways and the old acquaintances and the old friendships that have to be thrown out of the out of the hole before you can get down to the rock. And who is the rock? Jesus Christ. You and I have to get rid of all the old dirt of the old life and throw it out by an act of our will. Lord, I won't let that go on anymore. You said I'm to be separate. You said I'm to come out from among them. You said I'm to walk in uprightly before you. And even as the Lord your God is holy, be ye holy. Lord, that's the determination of my heart. I'm going to get all this other stuff out so that when I begin to build, it's not going to be upon sand. It's going to be on the rock. Why do I do this? Why don't I do this? Because the Word says, the Word says, the Word says. So the first thing we do, we dig down and lay the foundation on a rock. We need to make sure we're not laying our foundation on past experience. We need to make sure we're not laying our foundation on those things which seemed good to us in the past. We have to discard all those things and base it upon thus saith the word of God. Now I'll tell you why. Because going there it says, and if the flood arises... And the stream beat vehemently upon that house. What? When? Oh, when? That's different, isn't it? Will you circle that word when? It doesn't say if the flood comes. It says when the flood comes. And Jesus said the reason it's so important for you and me to build a foundation is because get ready for it, brother. There's a storm coming. He said if the world hated me, don't feel surprised if they don't like you. Because you see, you're not of the world anymore, but you're of me, and you're in the world, and the world hated me. So don't count it strange. Don't think it's strange if you have to go through all sorts of persecutions and trials and tests, and the, the world hates you, and your family becomes divided, and there's a sword between the father and the mother, the son and the, and the father, or back and forth within the home. He said, I didn't come to send peace. I came to send the sword. He says, the storm is coming. Get ready for it. A lot of people are not concerned as new Christians as to where to build their foundation. They think, well, glory to God, I'm in amongst the, all the saints and have all that sweet fellowship and we sing and we praise the Lord and all these things. I'll just kind of flow through. So you're, going to, you're headed for disaster. I used to see in Bible school more young people backslide in Bible school than I could imagine. You know why? They were trying to float along in the spirituality of the crowd and the faculty. It doesn't work. It doesn't rub off. You and I have to dig our own foundation down and establish our actions and our purposes and our goals based upon the Word of God, what Jesus said. Dig down and lay the foundation on a rock, and when the flood arose, when the flood arose, and it will come, when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, what was the source of that being built upon a rock? Verse 47, whosoever cometh to me, coming means surrenders to him. Secondly, heareth my sayings, that's discipleship, following after him. Thirdly, and doeth them, that is obedience. So anyone who comes and surrenders to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who follows after him and does what he says to do as far as his sayings are concerned, hears them and responds to them, and those that do what he says in obedience. He says, now those are the people who are building a foundation upon a rock. First of all, you have to come to him. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. 
When you come to Christ, let me tell you, by the way, if you wonder what, what's involved in coming to Christ, it means you're walking this way, God says, and Jesus says, will you come to me and you turn around, forsake the world, forsake the flesh, forsake the sin, forsake the devil, and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you and now I make you Lord and Master of my life. Will you come in and take charge of my life? I repent of my past sins and ask you to make me your Lord and Savior. Make you my Lord and Savior. Now that's involved in coming to Jesus. And then he says, and here is my saying. He that heareth my word and doeth them. That's the wise man. A lot of people will hear what the preacher says. They'll hear what the church says. But they fail to hear what Jesus says. And so they become disciples of a denomination or a church or a preacher. And he wants us to become his disciples. To where you can honestly say the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. I am the Lord's disciple. Now, I may fellowship with this body or that body over there, but I am the Lord's disciple. And then do a thing. That means total obedience to Jesus Christ. He says, now that person, get this down. I want you to catch this now. You come to him, you hear, you hear what he says, and you do what he says. There is a man that has built his foundation upon a rock. No one can take him. When somebody comes to him and says, but my denomination says, couldn't care less. My pastor says, I couldn't care less. Let me tell you something. Some of you, listen now, listen. Some of you that are still going around saying, my pastor says and my church says, when the storm comes, you've had it. Your foundation is not on the rock. If you're going by what I say, I hope all I'm doing, I keep saying, look, it's in here. Don't just listen to my mouth. It's in here. I got it out of here. This is my source. It's in here. See, this is what's going to judge us in the last days. Don't say I'm saying it. I'm not saying it. I'm just telling you what it says. I want you to get your foundation on a rock. Because the storm is going to come. Now let's look at the other person. Now, by the way, he tells us about two different people here, and I want you to notice something. Both of them built a house. Both of them probably looked just as nice. One looked just as nice as the other. Both of them were probably very livable. He didn't say anything about the quality of the house itself at all. He talked about the foundation. I've seen many people who have built churches that were beautiful. But when the storm came, they crumbled. Verse 49. But he that heareth doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat. Let me tell you something. The storm came to that one too. Every person who declares the lordship of Christ in their life and says that they're a Christian, the day of the storm will come. You cannot avoid it. It's going to come. He says the only difference between the one man and the other, one man heard, came, heard, and obeyed Jesus Christ. This man came and heard, but didn't obey Christ. See the difference? Both of them came, both of them heard, but only one did. That's why I say it's not enough to say what God says, we have to do what God says. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the, the earth, against which the stream did be vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus says we're to build a solid foundation. A foundation built upon coming to Christ, hearing Christ, 
and doing what he tells us to do. I'm so glad that God saw to it that his word was very, very clear. We don't have to guess what God wants us to do. When we come to him, he wants us to obey his word. He says if we obey his word, hear him and obey him, that he will honor us. That does not mean the storm will not come. Some people say, well, I don't understand this. I've tried my best to serve God, and I've tried to be obedient to God, and I've done this, I've done that, and now look what's happened to me. Well, surprise of surprises. What was it that you said in that program? Surprise, surprise, surprise. I don't know why the surprise. Jesus said it over and over again. Look out, the storm's coming. But he says, don't be surprised. You're going to go through it. But when you go through it, I promise that I'll never let more come on you than you can bear because I am the source of your strength if you're obeying me and listening to me. Your foundation is up on a rock. And when people say things about you or say things about me, big deal. I don't have to answer to them. Matter of fact, they're going to be long gone, and that's when I'll have to wait and be concerned about what Jesus said. I'd rather have him tell me, well done, than to have all the accolades and all the prizes that the world has to offer. I want to ask you this morning, what's your foundation being built upon? Are you really a usable vessel? Saying what God says, doing what God does? Remember now, both men came, both men heard. The only difference was both men didn't do what God said. And because they didn't do, they weren't built upon the rock. Second Timothy, the second chapter. Usable vessels. I'm just going to read to you verses 19 through 21. We won't read all of the chapter again. Talking about usable vessels. Second Timothy, the second chapter, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Again, that verse 21 tells us that God requires us to judge ourselves, to purge ourselves, to cleanse ourselves in accordance with his word by the quality decision that we are going to be vessels unto honor. Vessels that God will in the ages to come look at and say that is a precious vessel to me. We choose how we will be used by God. That's an important thing for us to understand. It is not God grabbing me by the nap of the neck, shaking all the slack out of me and saying, now you will whether you like it or not and go into the kingdom of God. But we choose. That's why even in the Old Testament, the prophet of God says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Once you make that choice, that's the critical thing. The choice you make there is so critical because it will affect everything that happens to you for the rest of your life. And the quality of that decision will manifest itself sooner or later. We have said that a usable vessel is, first of all, expendable. Secondly, it is spendable. Third, a usable vessel is bendable. And fourth, I said the usable vessel is dependable. And a dependable vessel, we said, is first of all one that says what God says. 
We don't contradict God, either with our words or with our lives. A disciple, you see, the meaning of the word disciple in the Bible, in the Greek, does not just infer someone who is taught by, has been taught by someone else. But it means not only have they received their teaching, but they are walking out in experience every day the principles which that leader has found. It means not just saying what he says, well, this teacher says, but doing what he says. That constitutes a true disciple. And so we say what God says. Secondly, we do what God says. As we said last week that sin, the de one definition of sin then would be to do or to say something that God is not saying or doing. God wants us to say what he says and do what he does. And we said last week that a dependable vessel, first of all, builds a good foundation. Remember last week we talked about dig down to the rock to build the foundation. Last week the emphasis from God's word was on the foundation. Today it's going to be on the building. There are some that will build a foundation but don't finish the building. And a dependable person not only lays the foundation, a good foundation, but then builds a solid building. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 25 of chapter 14. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. Now, I want you to see, first of all, that we're going to have another Gideon experience taking place here. You remember that when Gideon called, was sent forth by the Lord to call up an army to go against the Midianites, that when 32,000 of them came out, God said, we need to thin out the ranks, we've got too many, send those that are fearful home. Let me tell you something, God has never done anything through fearful people. He's done everything through people of faith. Send the fearful home. And then, secondly, he says, take them down to the stream, when there were only about 10,000 left, he says, take them down to the stream and let them get a drink, and those that lap like a dog, or stick their face down in the water, I mean, and aren't on guard, contrary to those that will lift up the water and lift the water out of their hand like a dog and watch around and be watchful, he says, send all those that are not careful home. Now here you see that Jesus had a tremendous following. Great multitudes started following him. They were looking for the miracles, they were looking for the food, they were looking for the popularity, they were looking for the excitement of this charismatic person who was walking around doing all sorts of things with great authority. And Jesus said, I'm going to have to nip this in the bud and let people know that this is just not an easy thing that they're starting to follow after. It went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, you don't know how pleased I am to see many of you following me. If you would only go and fill a pew next Sunday and bring more, I'll be even more excited. Is that what your Bible says? If we can only advertise in the newspaper in Jerusalem next week, maybe we can even get a greater crowd and build a bigger building. That isn't what he said, is it? I want you to see something that all the way through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, he was never concerned about crowds following him. God has always been able to do more with the 300 committed people than the 32,000 mixed multitude. God is not interested just in numbers. And I don't know about you, but I want to do what God does and say what God says. There is nothing wrong with a committed multitude. But if it's a mixed multitude, there is total confusion. Jesus then began to bear down on them. Listen. If any man come to me 
Hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I've talked about this before. He was not talking about me going to my mother or my father and saying, I hate you. Because he says we're to honor them. He says, husbands, love your wife. But as you get into the Greek, you'll find that this word has a comparative connotation to it. If you have to declare the difference between the two loves. Now, there may be people that I love in this world, but if I ever had to make a choice between sticking with my wife or other people, guess who wins? Well, that does not mean that I don't love the other people, but it means that I have to compare the love. There was a time when I was just a child, I can still remember, hasn't happened too often, but thank God just recently it happened a little bit of the same thing, but there was a time back when I was a child when they had what they called the Second World War. Some of you aren't old enough to remember that. They didn't have to go out and conscript a lot of people into the armed forces. Men were volunteering to go. And they would stand on the docks getting ready to go on those ships, and their babies would be there, their wives would be there, their mothers and fathers would be there, tears flowing down their stream, uh, streaming down their faces as they were going on that ship to go over to fight to protect our nation against the enemy. There was a loyalty there, there was a love for country there, there was a patriotism there that you very seldom see anymore. Was, did it mean that they didn't love their wives and their babies anymore, didn't love their parents anymore? Of course it didn't. It meant that a higher calling had come into their life. A calling of being, being strong in a time of need, and they were willing to forsake this love for a moment to go and take care of what they sensed was a greater problem and a greater need. And Jesus was saying, you're to love your loved ones around you, but if ever the question has to come up as to who you'll follow, them or me, comparatively it should be like love and hatred. The decision is already made. Jesus goes down and says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, he didn't say your enemies, he said, love your enemies, didn't he? Love your enemies. But you've got to come to a place where you're willing to hate those that are closest to you. By the way, I don't know about you, but I found many, many times it's the ones that are very closest to you that tend to want to try to drag you down. Coming from a non-Christian home. I had more respect outside of my home many, many times than I did at home. My relatives had really thought I'd gone crazy over religion. To remember the disgust that my father had, and I loved him. When I would sit at the table and bow my head quietly and pray to myself to return thanks for the food, he'd sit there and slam his knife down, his fork down, and say some nice things, you know. And, and I had to keep saying, Dad, I just want you to know I love you. I said, I don't know how else to say it to you, but would, would you rather have me like this, or would you rather have me in Reform School of Prison with all my friends that I used to run with? You know, I really love Jesus, and I thank God what he's done for me. I said, because of I've learned to love you and Mom like I never loved you before. But there came a time when I had to say, I love you, but in comparison, I committed my total life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if we're not willing to do that, you can't be his disciple. You notice it's interesting, three times in this portion of scriptures we go through it, we'll find, he says, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple. I mean, if I want to disagree with other people outside, that's all right. But Jesus said, not only must you learn to hate those that would come against the things concerning the kingdom of God, in comparison, in a comparative way, you see, I can still love my parents, but have a certain boundary line where I can go no further. My father asked me to do some things because he wasn't a Christian. He asked me to do some things after I became a Christian, and I had to say, Dad, I love you, but for conscience sake and for my Christian testimony sake, I cannot do that. 
Well, I don't think you have to go nuts over religion and be through that door every time the door opens. I said, yes, Daddy, I really do. Because that's the way I serve the devil. I'm going to serve the Lord that way and more. Because I love the Lord. But Jesus went one step further. He says, and you have to teach your own life also. You know, one of the last funerals that many people are willing to have, even after they become Christians, is that funeral. Coming to the place where you hate all your own goals, all your own plans, all your own programs that you've established for the future, and to take every one of them, your businesses, your acquaintances, your relationships, your possessions, take them all and lay them at the foot of the cross and say, Lord Jesus, for your sake and the kingdom of God's sake, I hate those things, I forsake those things, I'll have nothing to do with those things outside of the light of the word of God. Those things have been placed in my hands, but they've been placed there for one thing, Lord, and that is to be used for the glory of the kingdom of God. Now, Lord, I like to go do a thus and such, but if that is not the perfect will of God for my life, I lay it down and forsake it now in the name of Jesus. You see, it is so easy today for many churches to say, oh, just believing in Jesus is just a wonderful experience. And Jesus said, wait a minute, the crowd's getting too big, I better thin it out. If you're going to follow after me, you've got to hate your father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and your own life also. God. Your own life also. What was it Satan said to God in Job? You remember in Job, the second chapter, fourth verse? People, you haven't let me touch him yet. You let me touch him. All that a man hath will he give for his own life. All that a man hath will he give. He said, I'll get to Job. You let me touch him. Jesus is saying, just by the way, let me know and tell you something. In this world, you're going to have tribulation and you better settle it ahead of time. Are you willing to die to all your own desires and all your own plans for life to be my disciple? All that a man hath, he'll give for his life. For his own life. Remember the story someone said, Here my Lord, send my wife. Here my Lord, send my children. And God's waiting for us, to, for us to say to him, Here, my Lord, send me. I have to die to my own life. Well, what does it mean, really, to completely die? You know, I could speak for hours on that subject and still not cover it. So just very quickly, let me ask you, what is it that somebody touches that belongs to you that disturbs you when somebody touches it? I had to have a meeting with the Lord last night and early again this morning. Recently, we've had someone come into our boathouse and steal the prop off my little old Evan Rood motors, an old Evan Rood motor, stole the prop off of it, and I thought, well, that's kind of aggravating because, you know, I, I do like to go out. I haven't been fishing for four or five months, but in the fall, I do like to take a day once in a while just for a few hours and go out and fish. I thought, well, they got the prop, but I've still got my electric trolling motor, so I can go out and go fishing with an electric trolling motor. I went out in the boathouse the day before yesterday, and my battery was gone. Die-hard battery was gone. And I was fussing a few months sitting there thinking, how can I catch those guys if they come back in there? Boy, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and says, you're awfully concerned about some things, aren't you? You know, naturally we can say, well, you've got every right to be. I mean, that battery was worth $75, $85, and that just doesn't come every day. Well, I can look at it that way. First of all, I can learn to be a little more careful with what the Lord puts in my hand instead of leaving it in the boathouse where it's open. Secondly, I can realize that it's not mine in the first place. You see, I am not mine. 
I am not mine. I have been bought with a price. If my whole house was taken, if all my property were taken, how many of you would still follow Christ if everything you possessed today were suddenly taken away from you? How many of you would go on even stronger for the Lord? Don't raise your hand. Don't want to to commit yourself publicly. How many of you would keep on going with the Lord if your children were taken away from you or your wife were taken away from you suddenly? How many of you would continue to follow the Lord if tomorrow all your bank accounts, all your earthly possessions, everything you've owned and collected and put together for life were suddenly swept away from you? How many of you get up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, thank you, I'm still rich in Christ Jesus, for I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'll glorify God with my body. And then suddenly, you have a physical affliction hit you. How many of you would still follow the Lord? A man will give anything for his own life, Satan said. That's why he likes to come against us. And Jesus said, now, wait a minute, all of you that are following me, I want to explain the rules to you. If you come after me, it means that I am absolutely master and Lord of everything. You turn everything over to me. Your future, your present, your past, your possessions, your relationships, you just put them down and lay them at the foot of the cross and say they're yours. Now, you see, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything but what he did it himself. The Word of God says that he became poor for our sakes, that we, through his poverty, might be made rich, laid down all the glories and, and power and authority of heaven, laid them down and came and became obedient, became a, in, in the likeness of flesh and, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, none of us have ever suffered like Jesus suffered. And he said, now, if you're master, if they hate me, they're going to hate you too. The world's going to hate you. You've got to come to the place where you die out to your future and your present and your past and all the things that God has placed in your hands, all the things you possess, you've got to die out to them to the place where they're no longer yours, they're his. Those things you hang on to, Jesus said, if you keep your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, you'll gain it. He says, let it go. Let it go to me. Release it to me. That's the first thing he says here. He's telling them the cost. And then he talks about compliance. In the next verse. And whosoever does not bear his cross, bear whose cross? Oh, not Christ's cross, is it? You mean there's another cross? And whosoever does not bear his cross or her cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What was the cross that Jesus bore? We've talked about it before. It certainly wasn't the wooden cross because he hadn't even taken that yet. He was still teaching, wasn't he? You see, the cross that Jesus bore, he took that cross on when he left heaven. He already had died when he left heaven. He had settled it in his heart for this very reason. Came I into the world. Isn't that what he said? Lord, this is the fulfillment of the purpose of God for my life. I've come to die. And he says, now, if you're going to follow after me, you great multitudes, let me tell you something. You're going to have to take on the cross. And what's that? Dying to your own self. And every day, Paul the Apostle said it, he said, I have a funeral every day. Every day, I die daily. Paul died when he met Jesus Christ. He said, when the law came, I died. He said, I was so self-righteous, that I mean to tell you, I had Sunday school badges on my shoulder, clear down to my feet. He said, I did everything right. And he said, all of a sudden, when I saw Jesus Christ and the law in the light of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, I died. 
And he says, you know something, I got in the habit of it. Every day I got up, I recognized a new one fresh, that I was absolutely nothing, and I died all over again. Now, if the Apostle Paul needs to die, we do too. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple. Now, you see, there are a lot of people that like to follow Jesus afar off. So they get in a little bit of the warmth and the blessing and the protection. And he says, hey, all of you that are following back there, let me tell you something. Here's something that isn't being understood today. This isn't a picnic. It's an army. 